Chapter 1, what is the purpose of our faith? Back to front thinking. I want to start this chapter by asking a question which will require a measure of humility of the Spirit to be operating in us if we are to truly tackle this question with an open heart and mind. Is there a possibility when it comes to understanding God and His purposes that we may in fact have some things round the wrong way? Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Today, I carry a deep-rooted conviction that we have been looking at some things back to front when it comes to God and His way. When I read who God's people are chosen and called to be, the lives they are to be living from and demonstrating on earth, and then I look at the reality that is in front of us, I can't help but think, as one who is called to lead God's people, we have been looking at His purposes through our lens rather than seeing His purposes from His perspective. The very language we use today is a good example that demonstrates our back-to-front perspective. We continue to use language which doesn't make sense when compared to what the Scriptures teach us. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Why do so many followers of Jesus say we go to church when we are the church? How many of us use the word church in the context of a destination point or a building we go to on a particular day? We say things like, we go to church. And where do you go to church? We say things like we are getting married in a church. And what was church like this morning? This language comes from what I call the institutionalized mindset. And this mindset is so heavily ingrained in our thinking because it is of the flesh. I have found many followers who are completely unaware of the devastating consequences this mindset actually has in our relationship with Christ. And yet for many of us, our lives are defined by this mindset. This mindset sees the church as an institution or organization rather than the very thing it is, God's people as a body. This mindset had its mode of operation anchored in the flesh, and although on the surface things may look the same, underneath things are very different. The institutionalized mindset uses other phrases like, I am in full-time ministry, as if everyone else is in a part-time ministry or are volunteers. It says things like, this is my job or career. And this is what I do for a living. And yet none of these words are associated or to be related to the church. The early church would laugh if they heard these words being used to describe their lives. I continually hear people say to me, oh yes, I know I am the church and that I don't go to it. I have also had people say to me, Greg, you are being very pedantic. You may say these very words and you may agree with the many people who say I am pedantic. But here is what I would ask us all. If you had a favorite pair of blue jeans and I continued to refer them as your black jeans every time I saw you wearing them, you would think something was wrong with my eyesight. Why would I continue to call your blue jeans black when I am not colorblind and I know they are blue and not black? This doesn't make any sense. And yet this is what we do when it comes to our language regarding who the church is. We justify our language and yet there is something that needs to be addressed here. Here is the challenge for us as followers of Jesus. What we genuinely think, we believe. What we believe, we will speak out. What we speak out, we live out. And what we live out is the true position we hold. The demonstration of our lives is reflective of our true mindset, our thinking and our maturity in Christ. We are not aware of how subtle this deception is, and yet we can see the evidence of it right in front of us. Ephesians 3.20 teaches us that our thinking is linked to the power of God that is working in us. The more of his power we receive in us, the more our thinking will change and align to a correct perspective of who God is. 
This enables us to live our lives according to God's purposes because we now have a divine perspective. Too many followers underestimate this reality operating in their lives. So how does this back-to-front thinking relate to what the purpose of our faith is? When I ask people, what is the purpose of our faith in Jesus Christ, the answers have been varied. Everything from reaching the lost, discipling nations, prophesying, preaching the gospel, laying hands on the sick and feeding the poor, to building his church and kingdom. These are just some of the answers given to this question. Would you agree with one or more of the responses above regarding this purpose of faith? Or would you have a different answer to this question? I want to suggest that although the Bible speaks of most of these things, if not all of these things I have mentioned, none of them are to be the goal or the main purpose of our faith. They are all natural outcomes of the goal or purpose of our faith. All these I would classify as being commission-focused. And we are to be commission-focused, but not before we have let the great commandment become the lens that defines the commission. It is imperative that the great commandment defines the great commission and not the other way around. The reason why the great commandment must define the great commission is because it is the great commandment that leads us into discovering the true knowledge of God. Why didn't Jesus say that the great commandment was to reach the lost or to make disciples of all nations or to prophesy, discover your gift or to feed the poor? How many of us have been guilty of completely skipping past the great commandment as we think we have already nailed this down and gone straight to the commission, the outcome? I will speak more of this in chapter 7, why the great commandment is the great commandment. So what is the purpose of our faith in Christ? The answer to this question is very simple, while at the same time extremely profound and deep. The goal or purpose of our faith is to know him. Does this sound too simple? Surely there has to be more than this. This cannot be the core purpose or goal of our faith because I already know him. What about reaching the lost? What about discipling the nations? What about the kingdom? What about the gifts? What about, what about? I'm not saying these things aren't important, but I suggest that they are not the goal or purpose or the priority for God's people like so many of us have made them. They are all outcomes of the purpose, and a person who knows God will naturally and authentically find themselves flowing in these outcomes. A person who knows God and is living a life of godliness will also find themselves being persecuted for this lifestyle, and it may in fact surprise us who are our persecutors. It is only the true knowledge of God in us that births his incredible kingdom life in our innermost being, and it is only the true knowledge of God that has a us accomplishing the spirit-led works he has prepared for us to do, rather than any works we think we should be doing. True knowledge transforms lives. This is the very reason you find people in the scriptures that although they called him Lord, Lord, and prophesied, cast out demons, and performed miracles in his names, Jesus said to them, Depart from me, for I never knew you, you of lawlessness. Matthew seven twenty-one to 23 not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The true knowledge of God in us is not only the key to a transformed life where rivers of living water flow from us, but it is the key to knowing the Spirit-led works that he prepared for us to accomplish. These works are accomplished his way and in his strength. The only works that hold any eternal value are Spirit-led works, not just any works. These are the works that he leads and accomplishes through us. 
I love the phrase I once heard, a cow produces milk because it is a cow. The production of milk is an outcome of a cow being a cow. The milk produced is an innate response to the cow being a cow. The works of Christ that he will have us accomplish are a natural outcome of us knowing and being a follower of Jesus Christ. To be continually coming to the true knowledge of God for who he actually is and not our version or image of him is the goal because then we can truly be a follower of truth rather than a doer of truth. If we make knowing him the central part of our life, we need to be prepared for change. This is not something you can simply bolt onto your existing theology or experience. Instead, seeking to know him as the basis of our faith means he will define everything, and I mean everything. I found many followers who know about Jesus and can give you factual information about Jesus, but when it comes to them actually sharing the intimate personal knowledge they have within them, the knowledge that is changing them and birthing this incredible life within them, the silence becomes deafening. This is my entire point and why the goal of our faith is to know him. You will know those who genuinely know him and who are growing in this knowledge because they will have his love, his joy, peace and humility operating within them, which is not of this earth. They will be living their lives from a posture of his rest and will demonstrate kingdom life here on earth. They will not just be a people of words or messages, but they will be a people who have his divine power operating within them continuously. They will be the demonstrators of his wisdom, having God's kingdom formed and established within them as their priority. The simplicity of knowing him baffles many because most of us, especially leaders, think we already know him. This is way too simple. It literally can't be this simple, and yet it is. Although this answer on the surface seems simple, the depth to it is profound. Paul spoke to the Corinthian church and he said he was afraid that their minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Just like when the serpent deceived Eve in the garden, Paul compares this being led astray from knowing Christ to the fall of man. And I'm not sure it gets more serious than the fall of man. 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of a devotion to Christ. John 14.7 is a fascinating bit of scripture in relation to truly knowing who Jesus is intimately. We see Jesus having a conversation with Philip over the fact he says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip's response is a response of someone who has yet to have their eyes open and ears open to the spiritual realm through revelation and are still hearing through the physical lens. He says, show us the Father. Did Jesus mumble his words? Did Philip not hear what Jesus said? Or did Philip hear what Jesus said and completely miss the truth that was being shared? Why was this the case? Jesus' next response is very defining and one that we need to pay close attention to. Jesus says, Have I been with you so long and you have not come to know me? John 14, verse 8 and 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Just because we have been brought up in a Christian home doesn't mean we have a true knowledge of who Jesus actually is. Just because we are part of Christian community and we attend services regularly doesn't mean we truly know who Jesus is. Just because we read the Bible and pray regularly doesn't mean we know Jesus intimately. Just because we are a pastor of a church community or have a degree in theology doesn't mean that we have a true knowledge of Jesus. 
Jesus can be standing right in front of us like he was with Philip, and we can still not know him or see him for who he truly is. We can do all these things and still only have a knowledge about Jesus rather than a life-changing and transformational knowledge that makes you free and brings you more and more into the life of freedom. John 8.32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The key to knowing whether you are coming into an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ for who he actually is is your very own personal transformation, where his life is being birthed in you on a continuous basis, creating an overwhelming sense of freedom, and you are living out of the overflow of his abundant life that operates within you. Paul found this position in Christ and took the time to write it down so we would not only be encouraged, but we would know that it is fully possible for us to find this position. Philippians 3, verse 7 to 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In verses 1 to 6, Paul describes his resume for us and who he was before he met Jesus. Paul was someone and a somebody in the Jewish world. He was a scholar of the law, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a religious man of the highest order. And yet he says he considered all these things are a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. The word knowing is the Greek word gnosko, which means to know intimately. How many of us as his people have an intimate knowledge of God where we can give living testimony to the words that the Apostle Paul spoke when he said, I count all things a loss compared to knowing him. What Paul is saying is profound. This man was anti the church and was on a mission to destroy the church in the name of God. For Paul to say these words is an absolute witness of the power of God to change an individual from one reality into another. Just imagine Paul or Saul saying these words to himself before his encounter with God. These words would have been utter blasphemy to the man, and he would have made it his mission to kill anyone uttering these words. And yet now he finds himself giving testimony to this incredible life found in coming to know Jesus Christ through the Spirit. Here are a series of questions to start asking ourselves in relation to the impact that Jesus is to have on our lives through knowing him. Has knowing Jesus become greater than knowing and loving our spouse? Has knowing Jesus become greater than the birth of a child or our children? Has knowing Jesus become greater than achieving the highest academic award? Has knowing Jesus become greater than any sporting achievement? Has knowing Jesus become greater than any business success? Has and is knowing Jesus becoming the highlight and goal of our life? Can we say like Paul that compared to knowing Jesus, our lives before and even now are but rubbish? Lead my people to me and not to a lost world. In 2010, God apprehended me and arrested me with two very specific words. These two words have become foundational in the transformational work that God has been doing not only in my own heart and mind, but in the hearts and minds of the people of the rock community. Firstly, he said to me, Greg, I build my church. Yes, we know Jesus builds his church, but when Jesus actually revealed this and the way he builds his church in and to me, I realized so many things needed to change, not only in my thinking, but in the thinking of many others around me. 
I will talk more about this later in the book. The second was, Greg, stop leading my people to the lost and lead them to me because they don't know me. I had to ask myself, did I hear him correctly? Did he just say stop leading them to the lost and lead them to me because they do not know me? I wasn't mistaken. That is exactly what he said. I then found myself engaging with God in a series of questions where he would ask me why I was so in love with him and so passionate about living for him. As he asked me this and I considered my answers, it all became very obvious. The reason I love him so much and am so passionate about seeing his name glorified is because he revealed himself in me to such a measure that just like Paul, I found myself saying these exact words, everything is rubbish compared to knowing you. Notice I said in me and not to me. I had seen God move powerfully in signs and wonders. I'd seen him answer prayers. I'd seen him change other people's lives, but it wasn't until he... He revealed himself in me that everything became living and active. Galatians 1 verse 15 to 16. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. It had nothing to do with me. God in a moment in time revealed himself in me. His love, my fallen state, his incredible grace and the enormity of what he has done for all of mankind. He filled me with the spirit and the power of the spirit, and I now had this incredible knowledge of God in me that was and is transformational. Maybe this is why Paul said he wasn't ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power that produces this life in us. His words became so obvious. The only reason you are so passionate about me is because I revealed myself in you. He then said this, they know about me, but I want them to truly know me and who they are in me. Son, lead them to me and not to a lost world. If they discover me and truly know me, my church will accomplish much and will be found doing all the things that I long for them to do. My people's work will be continuous and the works will be a natural outcome of knowing me. If they know me, they will reach the lost. I consider we have truly underestimated and undervalued the enormity of what truly loving and knowing the Father means. Paul was a man who discovered this reality to a vast dimension and was able to speak of it through his letters. In Revelation 2 verses 4 to 5, we see the church in Ephesus being rebuked by Jesus for leaving their first love. They knew of his love and yet had left their first love. I wondered how many followers had ever had him as their first love or even known what this means. How incredibly sad it must have been for the Ephesians to leave their first love. But to not even know him as your first love is even worse. In fact, it's heartbreaking. If more of Jesus' followers had this intimate knowledge of God operating in them, then many of the questions we have asked ourselves for centuries would be answered. Questions like, but how do I do this? Or how do I do that? Leaders of God's people would no longer ask questions like, how do we get the people to pray, read their word, reach out to others, lay their lives down, serve, love God and others, give, step out and have faith. Even something simple as, how do you get people to services on time? If we as his people truly have an intimate knowledge of God and this knowledge is growing, then the questions we ask ourselves as leaders will be completely different. I think the questions would be something like this. How do we guide all these people who are laying their lives down? Where do we give this abundance of resource to? How do we cope with the overflow and channel it wisely? Is he really my first love? 
If we are to be honest, who or what actually is our first love? Who or what consumes our time, our heart and mind space, our energy, our finances, our focus? Do we know him well enough that he has become our first love? Yes, we can say that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love others ourselves. But if we are to take a video footage of our lives over a three-month period and the above questions were the lens which we look through, what would we actually find? Would the evidence overwhelm us and bring us to our knees in repentance? Or would our words actually match our lifestyle? My hope is that our words would match our lifestyle as we will be held accountable for the reality in which we live rather than the empty words we may profess. Quoting from Isaiah, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, that this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Isaiah was prophesying this about the Jewish people. But ask yourself this question, am I any different? Today we would call this giving lip service. To love and to know intimately the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to such a depth that we are being transformed into his image. And going from one measure of glory to another through this process is the purpose of our faith. The ultimate purpose of our faith is to know the one of our faith intimately and to have this knowledge operating within us. So how do we come to know him? How do we come to know God in this intimate way so we too can testify to the same words that Paul spoke when he said, my life is but rubbish compared to knowing of Jesus Christ. There is only one way we come to know God like this, and that is through the power of the Spirit revealing him in us. This is something we cannot do. We cannot reveal Jesus Christ to ourselves, and we cannot reveal him to anyone else. We are completely and utterly dependent on him to reveal himself in us. This is both frustrating and liberating as we cannot do any of this ourselves. Luke and Matthew both teach us this in their Gospels. Luke 10, 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Matthew 11, verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Notice the wording that Matthew and Luke both use here. No person knows the Son except the Father, and no person knows the Father except the Son, and to whom the Son wills to reveal the Father. We breeze past these types of scriptures and completely miss the magnitude of them because we can't see the truth that sits on the page. The Bible is literally screaming to us a reality from God's perspective. The reality is that none of us know or can know the Father or the Son unless the Son wills to reveal Him. There is a key word used in both these passages of Scripture, and that is the word reveal. No one can know the Son or Father unless the Son wills to reveal Him. What does it mean to have a revealed position of Jesus Christ in us? Because this is the only way we come to know God. How did you and I receive our knowledge of God, and how do we continue to do so? Was it and is it through the agency of the Father directly like Peter? Or was it and is it through the agency of flesh and blood? In other words, the agency of man. This question is a deal breaker and one that will determine whether a person comes into the fullness of life in Christ within them or whether this incredible spiritual life always appears to be on the outside of us, on the external, where our reality never matches the reality the Bible declares. I want us to take a close look at these words that Paul writes in Galatians 1, 11, and 12. 
and also the words he writes in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Paul is describing to us his process of how he came into a true knowledge of Jesus Christ by a revelation of the Spirit and not through the agency of man or the flesh. Galatians 1, verse 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is declaring a reality that so many of us have missed. He is saying, I didn't receive this faith-changing message via an operating system of man. He had a whole knowledge base that had been built and established through the operating system of man, and it had led him to killing God's people and running in the complete opposite way to God and God's ways, while genuinely believing and thinking he was doing the right thing in God's eyes. Even though Jesus wasn't directly talking to Paul in John 5, verse 39 to 40, when he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and yet it is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me and have life, he was definitely addressing the same operating system that was present in both parties. If there was one man that was going to know the difference between the true operating system of God and of man, it was Paul. He had first-hand experience of what it means to be operating from the only true operating system, and his life will start to reflect this from this point on. Through Paul receiving a revelation of Jesus Christ, he received the gospel message of word, power, the Holy Spirit, and full conviction. Notice the order in which the living conviction of the gospel came. It came via Paul receiving a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. He tells us that he didn't receive it from man, flesh and blood, and that he wasn't taught it, but it came because he received a revelation or a real position of Jesus Christ. If we are to be changed and transformed so we can experience this incredible abundant life that is found in Christ, then we must receive the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is the living word. And we must continue to receive revelations of him through the power of the Holy Spirit as we follow him. There is no other way to this true knowledge of Jesus Christ that sets us free. The church that Jesus built is a church built on the revelation of himself. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are discovered in Jesus Christ. This revealed position that Paul describes is not a revealing to him, but a revealing in him. This is what he teaches us in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Notice where Paul says the revelation came to him. It doesn't say Christ was revealed to him, but in me. Once again, this is something that we just can't skip over glibly, but something that is to be apprehended and arrested us by and grab our attention. The Bible says Christ in us is the hope of glory, not Christ to us. This begs the question of how we have received our knowledge of God and where we have received it. Has our knowledge of God come through the power of revelation and been revealed in our innermost being? Or has it come through our own methodology and operating systems, still sitting externally of us and not making any difference in us at all? You will know which one you have been operating from because you will have the corresponding life of the operating system you are living by. Once again, the promise from the Father to us is that God's truth sets and makes us free. You will find yourself being able to demonstrate this kind of kingdom life more and more, literally being the demonstration of love, joy, peace, humility, kindness, or you will find yourself falling short of this reality. 
When I mention these attributes or qualities, I mean the biblical version and not our human limited version of them. This kingdom life, which is not flesh and blood, will continue to be birthed, formed and established within us as his followers the more you and I receive ongoing revelations of the person, Jesus Christ. What I am declaring here has nothing to do with whether you are justified by his blood or not and everything to do with our maturity in Christ. My fear for many followers is that we have adopted the ways of the world and coming to know him. And because of this, we are still void of this incredible, abundant life within us. A life that is rich in the fullness of God operating from within us. Ephesians 3, 14 to 20 is a passage of scripture that is life-changing. If this passage comes, a living reality and conviction in us. In this passage, we see Paul on his knees in the throne room of grace, praying for the church that the Father would grant us to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner man. The reason Paul prays this prayer is because he knows intimately what the power of God has done within him. Paul then goes on to tell us why he wants the Father to do this powerful work in our innermost being. Let's look at the why. Ephesians 3 verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. Paul gives us three incredible outcomes that will be in our lives if we receive his power through the Spirit in our inner man. These three outcomes are that Christ may dwell in our hearts. We will be able to comprehend his incredible love which surpasses knowledge. We will be filled all to the fullness of God. Firstly, notice the word dwell. This means to reside, to be constantly present. Christ or Christ's life is constantly present in our hearts to such a measure that we have so much life in us that is hard to contain. Many followers profess this reality that Christ dwells in them, and in technical terms this is absolutely true. But if we fail to have the corresponding actuality of this reality, are we not just fooling and kidding ourselves? We profess a life that we somehow never seem to be able to demonstrate, and yet Jesus died for his people to come into the fullness of life that God has promised us. Secondly, Paul says that we too, like the saints, will have an intimate knowledge of this incredible love that God has for us, and, and it is this love that casts out all fear. We will have this love operating within us, and it will act as a compass towards the way we live our lives, and it will control every decision we make. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. What does a life look like that is controlled by love because of the knowledge a person has of this love? The last promise is that we will be filled to the fullness of God. The Bible says that we have to be going from glory to glory. Are we able, through the intimate knowledge of God we have operating on the inside of us, to give living testimony to this process of change and transformation where we are experiencing more and more of the fullness of his life? Can we share with others about how we are changing and experiencing more and more of his love, his joy, his peace, his freedom, his healing, and his humility? If we are not experiencing this dimension, then we will be unable to testify to it. This is the reality we are to come into through our knowing of God. So the question remains, if we are not experiencing this life in Christ, then how well do we truly know him for who he is? And is there any desire in us to know him to this measure? We are to be like Jacob who wrestled with the Lord until he got what he was looking for. Please hear me. 
Our heart motive must be right before God. But God looks to see how hungry and thirsty we actually are for the reality that exists in Him. He wants us to wrestle with Him for the promises that exist for us as His children. Will we be like the man in Luke 11, 5-8, who, because of his persistence, received what he was looking for? Luke 11, 8-10, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Coming into the true and ongoing knowledge of the Father is the answer to this incredible abundant life in us. This true knowledge of God is the root that defines the health and life of the branches.